Welcome. I'm your host, Headphone Joe, and I'm here with my co-host, as always. What's up, everybody? Brennan Tassif coming to you from New York City, live and in person. Live and in person. I'm coming from you from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, second time you're going to hear us today. We already dropped one already, if you're hearing this by now. We had the great honor of landing, unlike Pat Riley, one of our big whales, uh, <laughs> Six-year pro NFL cornerback, president, former president of the NFL Players Association, COO of the NBA PA, former host of the Morning Roast, a show that lived dear in my heart, now the host of the Dominique Foxworth show. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on, buddy? Very much, man. Thank you guys for having me on. And also, I appreciate you, like, you uh, supporting my career so far. You go back to the morning roast, so, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a long, I go it's, back, it's early in my ESPN days. I go back, I mean, to the NFL playing day. I mean, I remember you at uh, the Broncos. I remember you going yeah. to the Ravens. The Ravens were one of my – they were my AFC team because of Ray and Ed Reed yeah. because I'm a Miami guy. I don't want to talk about it right now. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I don't. Want yeah, that to intro it. might have thrown you off a little because there's there's a lot going on in there. But there's a lot of sports. Our team. We got a, a a guy in New York, a guy in Atlanta, a guy with an Eagles flag behind him who also is a Miami guy. You know what I mean? You just love ball. Oh, got a Jags flag yeah. in the back. It's just, y'all just I'm from love South sports, Florida. We're okay. both from Florida. I'm from South Florida. Uh, but yeah, I, I growing up, I wasn't going to be a Dolphin fan because none of my brothers were. Uh, my basketball team is the Nuggets because when Melo got drafted, they went to the baby blue and yellow. So I was like, I'm rocking with that. Uh, yeah, baseball, I kept the Marlins. So Okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I like it. I mean, I like the... The freshest jerseys when you're young. That's how that's how you chose the Nuggets. I'm with it. I was in Denver for the mellow years. It was a fun time. I used to think J.R. Smith was going to be like, because he was 18 and was so nasty at 18. I was like, man, y'all better watch out. And he <laughs> he ain't getting much better because he was that he was so real at 18 and was still yeah. that same dude uh, for the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, well, happy he's now at NCANT. North Carolina yep. A&T, yeah, on the golf Golfing team and it. all that. But, um, nah, man, those were fun-ass times watching the Nuggets. Uh, but fun times right now, too, winning the championship, baby. You picked us to win. Thank you. I did. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, see, I'm a Magic guy, so it was cool in 09 when we went to the finals, but. <laughs> yeah. Rough, man. We had Shaq <laughs> before that. Shaq before the, the trade. That was fun. That was a long yeah, time ago, buddy. Yeah, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, so Shaq and Penny, we thought y'all was going to own the league with Shaq yeah. and Penny, and that, that was all a big deal. fell apart. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. and then we got Grant in there, and they couldn't stay healthy, and then he went over to T-Mac. The, yeah, T Mac. It was it's been a, it's been a long road, but yeah, we're both we're both Florida kids. I played football in uh, at FAU in South Florida, so I'm gonna, uh, okay. Yeah, I just moved to New York for stand up. I I'd never seen snow until two years ago. Even when we played against Ohio State, it was in August, so it wasn't snowing. I don't don't just gloss past the stand up. Where are you going and when can I come see it? You got some uh, clips online or something? Are yeah, you funny I, yet or are you just warming up? 
No, no, no. I've been doing it since oh nine. Since I stopped playing college football, I got my eighth concussion, and they were like, "Yeah, you can't play anymore." And so then I got into stand up. <laughs> this was the time when all everything was coming out, obviously with the lawsuits and stuff. So when I got my eighth one, they're like, "Yeah, you don't start. We have an like an all conference fullback. Like you might just want to hang it up." And I was like, "All right, I guess I'm gonna retire." And fullbacks, there's not much of a future for fullbacks in uh, no. in football. Like we're, we're not running ISO anymore. Well, we it's were. Like I was. I played for Howard Schnellenberger, it. who was the only one who ran. He was the only Division One coach that ran a pro style offense. This is when Tebow oh. and Urban Meyer were in Florida, and everyone was switching to spread. Yeah. And he was the only one who offered me a partial scholarship. And he's like, "Yeah, you come here and play fullback." And I was like, "All right, cool." <laughs> and everyone else was like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> Yeah, just move the pull back to the sideline and bring in a slot receiver, please. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Brennan, uh, I'll shout this out. Brennan played with Alfred Morris. Uh, yes, oh, Alfred Morris before my big claim to, to fame. Uh, I was Alfred Morris's fullback in practice and during the Sunday toilet bowls. He wouldn't have made it without you. Congratulations! <laughs> I tell him that every time. I tell him that all the time. I don't say it on the show because that'll give him too much respect. <laughs> in private, I tell him I was like, he wouldn't have got those yards with RG three without you. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. All right. Well, while we have you here, we don't want to just go through our teams and uh, our obsessions. We'll do that in the latter half of this interview. Uh, I do want to ask, do you have an NBA team? I've never heard you. No. So, like, I grew up in Baltimore, and we, we had the Orioles, and that's it. We didn't get the Ravens till I was in high school. And by that point, I was already, like, thinking about where I was going to go to college and also very interested in girls. I was not about to pick up a, a sports team. It didn't feel right, but I, I came to like them when I played for them. But yeah, we didn't have a basketball team. And I don't know what's close to, to South Florida when you're growing up, but we're so close to DC, but we're too close to claim them. Mm. So it's like when you're close, it's like you hate them more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. I don't okay. know if anybody is familiar with that feeling. And so like people like assume that like I'm a Wizards fan. I live in DC now and I'd rather the Wizards win than lose. But like mm. growing up, it was like the Baltimore Bullets used to be our team. Now they're the Washington Bullets. It's like, no, we can't root for them. So I never really had uh, a basketball team. I yeah, I just kind of root for players and, and games uh, and teams that I like at the time. So I think everybody well, maybe it was opposite, but I became a big LeBron fan when he went to Miami. Mostly <laughs> when he because went to Miami. I was in South Florida yes. when that happened. That was huge. Yes. yes, I did because the reaction was absurd. The reaction this was is, crazy. This is kind of, I mean, this is my player centric bias. I accept that. But it was like, this dude has been incredible and he ain't do nothing but decide to go somewhere else. And the owner of the team wrote a, a like, racist ass letter yeah it was foolish and then people was burning his jersey and it just was like what and everyone across the league like he cheating he messing up the league like no this man decided he he did his time there and he decided to go somewhere else raise some money for charity and so i was like i hope lebron wins every championship (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was it was a it's a weird time because i like liked him and respected what he had accomplished up until that point but i didn't like actively root for him until then i was like oh no this is my guy but yeah it's kind of worn off a bit since then i've had like the reverse with lebron because i was in miami i didn't root for the heat Uh, i was Mm -hmm. in broward i didn't root for the heat and then when he went i was like 
I don't like that because now all my friends are gonna make fun of me. So I rooted against yeah. him until they to. won the first one. Yeah, and you had I to. saw the joy on his face, and I was like, "Why did I root against this guy? Like, I root, I rooted against happiness. I'm doing this all wrong." <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I mean, you're doing it right. You got to root against your friends. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but I feel you. It takes a big man to be like, oh, oh actually, I really like that this guy's happy. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it feels weird to root against greatness, too, because it's like, uh, I guess you, you have a hard time in the moment. But everyone who played against Jordan and everyone who watched uh, and rooted against Jordan, they talk about Jordan now with such, such reverence, reverence and respect. <laughs> respect and appreciation and it's just funny to be like man i'm rooting for something like that not to happen during my time like no i want to do that yeah it doesn't exactly like like, i want to be around friends all the time i was like never bet the under you're rooting for unfun football like what are you doing i mean and you're rooting for defense so i mean i can't get on board with y'all that a couple turnovers every now and then wouldn't be wouldn't be bad (laughs) sack fumbles a little something be all right all right, I feel I like all that about Zach fumbles. God, leave, I game. feel like that leads us greatly into the next part of this. All right, so Dom, Monique, you played corner in the NFL. I wanted to know. I've never heard you talk about it. Who did you emulate? Who did you emulate while growing up? Who were the corners that you watched that you wanted to be like? None. I so yeah I wanted to be a running back I wanted to be like Barry Sanders and I did not emulate him because I couldn't but he was the one who I liked the most and I remember being and this is funny coming off what I just said but like I remember being so anti-cowboys and so anti Emmitt Smith (laughs) like what are we like I became a 49ers fan in part because they were the opposite of the cowboys and I my best friend at the time loved uh, the Cowboys and Emmitt Smith and everything. And I'm like, Emmitt's just offensive line. He's not that good. And like, Troy's overrated. And I was, so I was like, you know, I'm a 49ers fan. But growing up, so my first year of tackle football, I was number 13 because I didn't get to choose my number because they didn't know me and they assumed I sucked. And so I, I was I was good. And then the next year I got to choose my number. So then I was number 20 for the rest of my Pop Warner career because of Emmitt's Emmett's, excuse me, Emmett's, because no. of Barry Sanders. Definitely not because of Emmett Smith, because of Barry Sanders. And yeah, I was running back uh, through much of high school and my senior year, I played quarterback and I played safety on defense all the way until I got to college. So cornerbacks were not really a thing that I was interested in until I got to college. And I actively chose that position because it was really hard. And I was like, you know what? There are a couple schools. Uh, Drew Brees was my host at um, Purdue, and Antonio Bryant, you remember him from Pitt, was my host at Pitt. Like these were schools that wanted me to play um, receiver, mm-hmm. and I chose. I narrowed it down to a couple schools that wanted me to play corner, like Michigan and Maryland, and uh, was it NC State? I think a couple of schools like that that wanted me to play corner because I thought that was the best path to NFL. Wow. So what even is that? I was going to say, just a follow-up, even when transitioning the corner, there was no one like you studied and was like, I want to, no? Wow, interesting. No, nah, I mean, I was in, in uh, at Maryland. <laughs> yeah, it, was, I, I, it's, it wasn't smart of me because I do think <laughs> that I was in Maryland and so we were close to D.C., 
and so Champ was there. I ended up playing with him as a rookie for the first three years of my career in Denver. But yeah, I, I saw Champ and really looked up to him. But the thing about the greats is you can't really copy what they do. It's like, and I look back on my career now, the best statistical career I probably had was my, well, maybe not statistical, but the, the, the year I felt like I was in most control of the game was probably my contract year in Atlanta. And the funny thing about that was I had, that was the first time I'd ever been coached like on technique as a corner. So I played, my high school was really small. We had three coaches, so we didn't have a DB coach. Our, um, our football program was two years old before I got there. And oh, wow. so we were like very underdeveloped program. And so I had, we had an offensive coach, a head coach and a defensive coach. And that was it. So I didn't get any technique taught. Then I get to college and the um, defensive coordinator is also the DB coach. So like, he's not teaching us technique either. And so then I go to NFL really not having any cornerback technique. And then I see champ and I'm like, all right, I would just study him and learn technique, which like he just is physically different. I couldn't do that. So it wasn't until Atlanta where I got with Emmett Till, Hall of Fame cornerback. Uh, Emmett Till, not Emmett Till. I was about to say odd name. God damn, that's that's a whole nother that Emmett was, Thomas Hall of Famer. I was God. like, really? Wow. Who had the I recognized the mother? name and then I realized I recognized it not for sports. Who had the over on how many Emmett's we would reference in this uh, conversation? Because we hit it in the first got, 10 minutes. We got Smith. Never bet and the under. Thomas and, and and Till. I'm so sorry. That's <laughs> not what I meant. But you get Emmett T in your head and you just that's just where you go sometimes. Anyway, so Emmett Thomas uh coached uh my technique and then I got to Baltimore and again our DB coach was uh not coaching cornerback technique. He was like a safety and then he became the coordinator. So I, I think like I look back on my career and wish I'd focused more on the technique. Because you're young and you think like, I don't know, the small things don't matter as much. But then you get older, you're like, you know what? Actually, (laughs) that stuff really does matter. It's part of getting old. I wanted to ask you um, before I I try to interrupt Joe earlier, because I coming out of high, I went to a big high school, uh, like a couple of players I played with, like a couple, someone went to Clemson, someone went to Florida. But as an offensive lineman in high school and then transitioning to a fullback, I was not recruited by like big D1 schools. It was a lot of like putting my own tape together, sending that out, doing the work. So I, I, I'm always curious because I've heard stories on different podcasts from different uh, athletes. What was it like to even though you were at a smaller school, even though you wanted to play running back and everything, what was it like when like these big schools you've heard of your whole life come to you and they're like, Hey, we want you to play here. Like, what is that feeling like? So I've put together my own tapes and sent them out to, um, uh, before they started showing interest, but this might sound arrogant, but like I expected them to come. So yeah. it wasn't, I mean, it was cool, but like, I, I yeah, I was like, yeah, when from the time I was six years old, I said I was going to be a professional football player. And like, I know lots of kids have these dreams, but like I was in elementary school, like the best athlete in my school, just yeah. about. There's another guy who was pretty good. Then I get to middle school and like best athlete there. I'm a little bit small. And so people are doubting me, but like it was nothing holding me back from being on the field. Then I get to the high school and I'm still pretty good uh, for like JV. Then next year on varsity, I'm like, oh, I'm comfortable. And then uh, the junior year is when I really was like, all right, one of the best players 
and the state. And then people start coming to and I'm like, all right, what took you so long? And I'm like, all right, where y'all at? Duke offered me my first scholarship. I remember um, Aubrey Hill, I think, was the receivers coach. And that was my first scholarship. And I was uh, kind of insulted because like <laughs> going was, to Duke. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I was, first of all, raised to hate Duke because my dad was from Charlotte and there's like a not that UNC is like the most racially progressive place in the history of the world, but people in Charlotte, like Duke was considered like the aristocrat, like white establishment and UNC was like the state school. So like, and they had all the black players and my dad's um, 60, uh, 60 something now. So this is a long time ago, but UNC was like what the black people were for and Duke was like what the white people were for. So like I'm growing up and UNC Duke's a big rivalry. And my dad's like, yeah, we, we don't mess with Duke for, for these reasons. <laughs> and so I'm rooting for UNC. And so the first scholarship comes through and, oh, he turned his tune right away. He's like, oh, was, scholarship oh, to Duke? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We like Duke now. But I was like, man, Duke's a basketball school. Why do you like thank thank you, Coach Hill, but I will not be going to your school. And I remember my my social studies teacher, I guess it was beginning of my junior year when I got this offer, she pulled me aside, which is a weird thing to do, but I guess she was trying to look out for me and was like, hey, accept this scholarship. And she didn't understand that, like, it really didn't. I can't, like, lock them in for four years right now, but she's like, accept this scholarship. You're not going to play in the NFL. You're No other school is going to come bigger and better than Duke. Like, you're not – you couldn't get into Duke – academically like right now duke is interested in you jump on it and i i just nodded and yeah i just nodded and smiled and 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 left but i was thinking like duke we're gonna play football at duke like duke's a good football school now respectable at least it wasn't back back then no it was you don't want to play at a school with a track around the football field yeah not what we're doing When we used to go play there, they I'm sure they've addressed it since then, but the visitors locker room was probably a quarter mile from the stadium. Jeez. So yeah, we go lot. out there. Yeah, and we have to walk through the woods. It felt very much like Pop Warner or like small time high school where you like get off the bus and you walk from the bus with all your shit on. It was yeah. like that's how Duke felt. And then you get there and it's like three hundred people there to watch your game. It was a pretty sad experience. Jeez. Jeez. Damn. I don't know. Speaking of sad experiences, you talked about your time in uh, Atlanta, and I've heard you talk about that after being traded, that was kind of the first time you dealt with some sort of depression. I want to know, what was a tougher time for you, that or your first SEL tear when you got to the Ravens? I was 100% the Falcons. Yeah, it was 100% the thing with the Falcons. And I think it was like a lot of pressure built up because I was – when you're young – you think like getting to the NFL is like the finish line. It's like, I get there and then I'm set, but then you actually get to the NFL. And if you're not a first round pick, you're a third round pick. Um, you're like, Oh, I got to get a second contract because if I don't get a second contract, then, and I know this might sound crazy to some people, but I think I probably had like five or $600,000 in the bank, which is a lot of money. But if I was to be run out of the league at that point, which is a distinct possibility, I am at that point, 24, 25, all throughout college, I'd been majoring in football, essentially, mm-hmm. while other students were like getting a major that may help them building relationships that may help them also using the last three, four five years to de- develop some sort of um, work experience and 
network and relationship. I wasn't doing any of that. And I just felt like at that point, if things went bad, it would have been a bad decision to ever have played football. And I probably cooked it up to bigger than I, than it should have been in my head. But that's what, that's what the darkness was. After I tore my ACL with the Ravens, it sucked, but they couldn't get their money back. <laughs> you know, so like, <laughs> it, it was, it was a terrible feeling and to not be there for the team and to not be able to fulfill like what I thought my career was going to be surrounded by future hall of famers. Like that sucked. That was disappointing. But I also was like, Whew, if this would have happened last year or the year before I got the contract or at any time when I was in college, like we're looking at an entirely different situation. Yeah. I've seen it firsthand. Just uh, some of the guys I played with, you, I mean, it happened to Alfred. Literally, he was taken in the sixth round, all pro his rookie year, beat a bunch of uh, past Clinton Portis's like single season records. And then I remember seeing like in an interview or like somewhere the the Washington football team was like, no, we'll just keep playing him and then we'll just not resign him. And I was like, how like how is that even a lot? Like you're just going <laughs> to run him into the ground and then just be like all right, now we're going to go get this kid out of Florida. Like, thanks for, thanks for your service. And I saw it with friends too, who didn't get, who went to the combine, but then maybe didn't get drafted. And I was like, Oh, well, you're going to keep working, like keep trying out. And they go, no, man, like it's, it's over. Like, yeah. Now that, and, that, and that was around the time when the concussion stuff was starting to come to light. So I'm thinking about that. I'm like, man, I beat my brain and, then it's also about rehab and hip replacements and knee replacements mm -hmm. and are coming. And I'm thinking about all this. I'm like, I've done all this to my body for what? For $500,000. <laughs> and like that, and when you do it that, when you think about it that way, it feels a lot less, um, it feels a lot less like a good situation. And so that's what I was thinking. And I think it was combined with the fact that I got traded on week one to a team that, Michael Vick had just gone to jail who had drafted a quarterback that nobody believed in and Matt Ryan. And so I got drafted on, or I got traded on week one. So I'm in a hotel uh, by myself. I eventually rented a place before I could get cable. So I'm in a uh, empty apartment with like some rental luggage, no cable sitting in there like, Holy shit. I'm <laughs> at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the depth chart. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm not going to play this year. I'm going to be a free agent. No one's going to want me because I haven't proven that I'm better than replacement level. They would rather just get a cheap guy. And I've already done damage to my brain and my body feels like shit. And like, what the hell am I going to do if this season doesn't work out? And so, yeah, I was feeling a little, I was, things were a little darker during that time uh, than than when I toured with the Ravens, because when I toured with the Ravens, I, I, um, I just got married and I had a big ass house in Pikesville, Maryland, and, <laughs> and two commas in the bank of. I must have made look better. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, God damn, this sucks. Oh well, let's get some real expensive ice for this knee. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Brady. You got one. Uh, I wanted to. Um... I wanted to talk to you about the uh, going to Harvard to get your MBA and stuff. Cause as you had just mentioned, and I, I completely understand this as someone who grew up in Florida where football is King and then playing football um, at a division one school, like that's all you focus. Like when, when they told me like, Hey, you, you might want to hang it up. I was like, what? Like <laughs> I am a football player. I don't even know. And yeah. I, I talk about it in the one man show I did, but like I went through this period of not knowing who I, cause for 
12 years, I was a football player. Bro, now, you don't got to explain that to me. <laughs> yeah, but now, and I'm I'm that guy. I played fullback. Yeah. Like, I'm the dude hitting yeah. it, like John Schmidt, like hitting yeah. his helmet on his face, like going crazy. And now I'm just the oh, yeah, crazy guy. Yeah. As soon as I met you, I was like, oh, yeah. This guy, yeah, he was banging his head in a lot. He got a whole Latimer vibe to him. <laughs> it's the kind of guy you want blocking for you, but not the kind yeah, of guy exactly. you want to bring to a party. Uh, <laughs> well, it depends on what type of party. I, that's true. I know if shit going down, I know that you're going to be yes. there. You got my back. So, yeah, you that's definitely actually, come to party with me. That's why I feature for a lot of comics because they're just like, yeah, if they don't want to pay us, I got you to make sure we yeah, get paid. Perfect. Then the police come and I tell them, go talk to you. You got a better shot of talking our, our way out of that, too. I was like, not what they look through is arrest history. Yeah, when they go through my record, they're going to be like, no, we're actually going to take him too. Come on. Cool. Uh, Give me time to get away, baby. You take over the team, brother. <laughs> That's my whole job. Make sure someone else can run faster. Uh, but I wanted yeah. to ask you, like, because that, that whole idea of once football was over and stuff, and you went through that, obviously, with getting traded, is that why you decided, like, oh, once I'm done, like, I got to do something. Like, I have so, to make sure to do something else. When I got traded, I remember distinctly seeing a like a an online NBA sign. And one of these times I'm driving on the highway back and forth from the Falcons facility in Flowery Branch, Georgia, and feeling really like sad about my prospects. I saw like a literal sign that was like, get an online MBA. And I was like, maybe I'll go to business school. Maybe that's what I'll do next. And so that was in the back of my head. Okay. Um, then I was a leader at the players union throughout the CBA negotiations. And that's when I really got my eyes open was like, um, this was after uh, the, or well, during, partially during the time in Atlanta, but definitely after the CBA negotiations. And I was at the table negotiating with the owners of the teams. And um, that was when I realized that they aren't smarter than me. And I think before that, I was, I assumed that to be like a billionaire business person, and this is very young, 20 year old naive view, that they were as good at business as I am at football. And they were as exceptionally intelligent as I was fast. They aren't. Nope. <laughs> and they, I don't mean this as disrespect to them. Like they were, some of them were very smart. It felt like a normal distribution of society. Like some of them were very smart. Most of them were average intelligence. Some of them were like probably slightly below average intelligence. They have relationships. They work hard in some cases. Sometimes they got lucky, but there was nothing that I saw in them that I thought I didn't have other than like maybe those relationships. And so that's when I was like, well, maybe online school isn't for me. Maybe I can go to a real serious, like top of the top business school. And when I realized that like people in business are not as elite as we are as athletes. And so that was the motivation. And as far as the stuff you were talking about, like your identity tied up in sports, mine, I didn't know mine was. And I saw everyone around me, especially as a leader of players union, I saw the retired players and I certainly wouldn't laugh at them or judge them anyway, but I thought I was different. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen to me. Like I'm not whatever. And then, so when I walked away from the Ravens, I had contracts on the table. I decided not to play anymore. I was like, all right, mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm good. And so I, this whole time I'm like, well, I'm walking away. I got into this great business school. I'm transitioning. I'm not going to have this identity crisis that everyone else had, but it's impossible, man. It's a, you can't identify yourself as something your entire life 
and then have it taken away and not have something to deal with. And I, when I moved to New York to work at the basketball union, I did that job for about a year. My wife got pregnant with our third child and she decided that we're no longer going to live in Manhattan. So I quit that job without any prospects. Um, and that was when it hit me because prior to that, everything for football players is your goals are very um, distinct and clear. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I need to get a scholarship. I got a scholarship. I need to get drafted. I got drafted. I need to get to the second contract. Got a second contract. All right. I need to get into business school. Got that. And I got the job at the union before I left. I was like, all right, now I need to prepare us for CBA negotiations. That was all, it was all had like a focusing element. There was clear goals in front of me. Then I stopped and I was like, all right, this is cool. Now what? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if it's, uh, I had this conversation with one of my business school friends last night. I had dinner with him. He works here in New York and his job, he made, uh, they sold his company, but he's still working there, but he's not as driven as he once was. And he's less happy. And I was like, bro, I don't know if it's, um, if it's like, uh, some sort of genetic defects that we are not defect, but I guess a, a form of, um, I guess just part of the way that we are wired is like, sometimes you need to kill something <laughs> and maybe it's, it maybe uh, to think of like a survival, uh, um, like a primitive survival idea is like, yeah, you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta whip some ass. And he was telling me about how miserable it was when he was first starting a company and he wasn't sleeping, but he worked, he woke up on four hours of sleep with a fucking purpose, like a drive. And he would like, neither of us agree that we want to go back to that point, but it was a clarifying mechanism where it's like, all right, now when you wake up and you're like, hmm, all right, what am I going to do today? And I was like that. <laughs> yeah. And I also remember, sorry to ramble. This is the last thing, but I, I mean, you guys took me back to that time. Mm-hmm. My wife, um, her parents were doctors and she grew up with a more money than I grew up with. So she like went to private schools and had relationships. And when we would go back to DC where she grew up, she'd go out to dinner with friends that she had had since the second grade. And they were like lifelong friends. And I have that. And that was in part because like, I didn't grow up in poverty, but like my friends, my closest friend, the guy who was a Cowboys fan, he did seven years in jail. So like, I'm not your friend anymore. And and every step of the way, when I'm in college, I didn't develop as many relationships as I wanted to because I was focused on a goal. Same thing in the NFL. Like I was really close with different people in at different times. But once I moved, it was nothing else. So like I found myself um, really wanting to refocus at that time when I was in New York with nothing to do. It was like, all right, I need to like develop some relationships and do some other things and um, find some other way to identify myself. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I related to so much in that answer, and I never played a down of football, yeah. professional, <laughs> PUE, or anything else. It's universal, uh, man. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, you went through uh, the league, you went through the PAs, uh, NBA and NFL, you went to Harvard. I was about to say, the first time I had uh, reintroduced to what you were doing post your playing career you had written a piece for what was then the undefeated now landscape uh, about white corners. And I was like, wait, I know this name, the bylines, Dominic Foxworth. I was like, he played for the Ravens. Then I was like, that was my boy. And 
I was just wondering what, uh, after all that kind of crisis of self, right. what went into that decision to start writing and then, you know, going full time oh. with ESPN and contributing to all these different programs? Yeah, I always liked to write. So when I was in Denver, my rookie year, I wrote a weekly column for the Denver Post. And um, yeah, so I liked to write. It was something I enjoyed. When I was here in New York and didn't have a job, I just started writing again and sending things to places to get published. And I was writing mostly about like, I think James Blake had just been like accosted by the police. Mm. So I was writing about the intersection of like race and sports. And then I wrote a piece for USA Today about the movie Concussion and how it affected me differently than it might affect other people because like the the monster in that horror movie is real. And for me, at least, it's something that like lurks around the corner. So yep. that got me a little attention from ESPN. And so then they were like, you want to write for us? And I was like, sure, I like writing. And then uh, then it came contract negotiation time. And they was like, we don't really pay writers like that. You need to get on TV. I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know what? I guess I'm a TV personality now because <laughs> that writer money ain't going to support the lifestyle that we have created. So that's kind of how I came to where I am now. Do you I've learned to do it and like it a, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I love I, I think it's I mean, it's totally different, obviously, doing stand up. But it is one of those things where it's you still get that rush if you like kill. And then if yeah. you do poorly, you still get that same in just like in the stadium, you get that same reaction yeah. in real time. And you're like, oh, man, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I don't want to get too dark, but I did want to ask you about uh, the concussion thing, because that's something I've had to deal with, obviously, playing fullback and. I've had a lot of issues uh, as far as uh, like acute onset epilepsy and restless leg and restless hand and all this different stuff that came with the concussions. Is that something that you still being 40 now and like your your career outside of football and you've been kind of away from it for a while? Is that still something you get checkups? Because I go every six months to a neurologist and get all these tests run and everything just to be safe. Is that yeah. something that you also kind of do? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely concerned about it. I, I'm not as responsible as you. I need to go to a neurologist uh, every six months and get checkups. But I, yeah, it's something that hangs over the balance uh, or hangs over a lot of the things that happen in my life. And I'm sure you're familiar with anytime you forget something, you're like, hey, is this yeah. my memory? Or Every time I drop my keys, I go, I don't drop stuff. What was happening? Yeah, it's, it's very, it's a weird place to be. It's, uh, and the tough thing is there's nothing really that can be done about it. So like, that's kind of the scary part is it, it doesn't matter. And so the, I think I take solace in the fact that given everything I know now, I wouldn't have changed anything, mm -hmm. but I do fear um, getting to the point because you see like the stories of the athletes who've committed suicide. I imagine that they would have changed something. Yeah. And so like, I I'm terrified of ever getting to, that point. And I think also that time when I was kind of slapped in the face with you are, you aren't better. You aren't a different athlete. Like you're going through the same thing as these other athletes. I think that was like a eye opening experience for me because like I, it sounds crazy to me to think that I'll ever get to a point where I would be in such a dark place. But uh, I, I, I'm reminded that I'm not any different than anybody else. I've done the same thing. I am the same person and I'm just as susceptible as anybody. And you just try to take care of yourself and do whatever you can to avoid those things. Be careful with drugs. Be careful with uh, anything that you don't know anything about. You know, that stuff is scary.
Yeah. What was that? What was that? Uh, Joe? How was it? Well, you weren't careful with drugs for a period of your life. Well, there, I've been right? sober for five and a half years because of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you got to be careful with all that stuff because it, I mean, it hits different people differently. And I, I think that was tied, that is tied in with some of the people who, who we've lost because of this. So, anyway, yeah. Certainly, Wait. congratulations on your sobriety. Thing. Well, that was the experience that once I stopped playing football, I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to put all this energy into partying. And then it just kind of yeah. spiraled from there. And then I was like, oh, I see why these 30 for 30s are made. Like this makes total <laughs> sense. This makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, all right. I don't know how much more time we have with you here, but uh, I got two quick questions. And if we can get you for another couple of uh, sports questions, I guess we'll do that as well. But who's your favorite member of the shipping container? I'll go first. Mine is Billy and Mike. Just a you said you said favorite member and then said two people. (laughs) True. I'd probably go Billy. He's more mischievous. Mischievous. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. None of them are going to hear this. No, but I still want to because like I feel like I really lately I've really appreciated. So Chris has really grown up a lot and it's pretty impressive what he's done. Mike is amazing and uh, he like juggles a lot of things. Billy's uh, more, he's more like me in that like throwing a match in the middle of a situation. And like, I find that appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, I really love Jessica's influence lately. Cause Jessica she's, and Lucy she, have been great. Yeah. yeah. Lucy is fun yeah. and not that Jessica's not fun. But Jessica says the shit that nobody wants to talk about is yes. like the real stuff that I like. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not picking anybody, but that's not fair. All right. I'll go. I got to go with one of the people who've been in there the longest. You said I'll go. Um, I'll go, Chris. Okay. Let's go, Chris. I was going to say also. Roy. Damn it. I forgot <laughs> Roy. Never mind. Forget everything I said. Roy. <laughs> I was like, one of the people who has been stepping up a lot, especially if you listen uh, to the Mystery Crate, Juju. Juju's contributions oh, yeah, have Juju's been dope. a lot, uh, have been great in the recent times. So, yeah. Um, and the last uh, quick one was is if and when or whenever, wherever Bomani decides to pop back up, are Foxworth Fridays coming back? I talked to Bomani a lot. He, I think he said he's coming back this month. I think. Oh, really? I don't know. I, hopefully, I'm not breaking any news. Never mind. Don't, I don't I, think anybody's going to. Yeah, nobody's um, going to run with this. <laughs> I, think, I think that he's close. Uh, I'll, I'll just put that there. He's close because okay. don't blame me if he's not back. But I think he's close. And I hope so. Like I love Fox, Fox or Friday. But I think he's got to get his, his business in order before we can worry about how, how I fit into it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, do you have any more time, or is that all we got with you? I don't want to waste your time. No, I got one more question. One more question. Brennan, do you want to ask something about your team? No. My team is in great shape. The offense no? just needs to put it together. <laughs> the Jags? Right. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm a huge I I'm a huge Josh Allen guy. I, I, I think Kayvon was maybe a little – maybe that was a uh, little bit of a reach, but I think I think we're going to be fine. Okay, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think this is a good one to end on. Yeah. Say you were a player at the University of Miami. How <laughs> how do you think what what's that locker room like? <laughs> if you could imagine, what 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 are they thinking? What what are they thinking? <laughs> oh, the tough thing is parachuting into a situation like this. Um, I know how I feel, but I don't have a relationship with Mario Cristobal. 
I think that how everyone feels is mostly based on how they feel about him, not as much based on the decision that he made. And so if he has a lot of goodwill with those players, if he's done things to help them, if he's proven his value as a coach in many ways, if they have a relationship with him, then they treat it the same way they treat it when a, a teammate does something stupid. It's like, we all mess up. We're going to be all right. If he's somebody who, and he comes off kind of as a bit of a hard ass, but if he's a hard ass who has not delivered for them and I'm putting myself in that situation, that's all it's based on is like, I know how my reaction is when, um, I don't know, when, if my wife does something that gets on my nerves, like I'm annoyed, but it's my wife. I know she got my back. It's good mm-hmm. to go. If one of my coworkers who gets on my nerves all the time does the same bullshit, I'm losing my mind like this <laughs> motherfucker. And I, that's, you know, like that. it's all based oh, on the context. Yeah. So it's all based on the context of the relationship. Yes, the history right, of the relationship. Content. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like Pablo, like, man, fuck are you doing? But I think that's how I would react. And so I, I, I can't speak to how the relationship with the players is, but I think what happens this week is going to, going to uh, have a lot of impact. If they bounce back and play well, then we forget mm-hmm. or they move on from it. But something like this could like redirect the trajectory of the season. And once you do one dumb thing like that, every other dumb thing that you do gets magnified. So he's put a spotlight on himself and the players will lose confidence quickly if he does a few other silly things. All right. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, We hope to have you back someday. This was great. We can actually talk more of just like present day things. Um, but it was great. I wanted to uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, so do you have anything to plug? Go ahead and plug. Uh, no, Dominic Foxworth show where um where I met you in the in the comments there. So yeah, please watch, review, rate, all that stuff, and I will definitely be back on this show at some point. All right. Brennan, where can we right, find you? At Brennan T Comedy on all social media, Brennan T Comedy.com. Um I got shows coming up in uh, New York, so check the website. Uh, you can also check out my one-man show, X Drinking Buddy, patreon.com slash Brennan Tassif, or listen to my other podcast. Joe Dorville was my guest this week. He has a new album coming out. Uh, comes out tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, the podcast is uh, Brennan Tassif is your X Drinking Buddy. If you just Google X Drinking Buddy podcast, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Joe. All right, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Dorville. That's Twitter and Instagram at Joe Dorville. You can find this show's Twitter and Instagram at Hearing Press. Uh, don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Anulo Network. That's Who Does a Podcast? We just did Little Shop of Horrors. We're doing Sweeney Todd next week. Uh, and Anulo, the big show where we just talk about wacky shit. You know, what favorite Chinese, what's our favorite go to Chinese meal? So things like that. There you go. <laughs> I mean, what more do you need in life? You know? Um, but yeah, that and I make a drink on there, and I talk about that on Brennan's show too. Hoo hoo, little yes. synergy there. Uh, yeah, new album coming out tonight at midnight tomorrow. For you know, normal people, when you wake up, you'll you can you'll find it uh, on all DSPs. It's called Outside by Headphone Joe. No, no E in the phone. Let's get Dominic out of here, Brennan. And that's why we play the game. Hello, hello. There's a lot of production in this. Box. A lot that goes on. A lot, a lot <laughs> happening. You said Brendan T? I gotta follow you. Brennan, yeah. Brennan. Sorry.